Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, just a technical note, really quick. Uh, today we're doing chapter 2, just the, the first verses of that, the first church of the seven churches. Uh, the sermon actually starts kind of giving you an overview of those uh, of the letter, of essentially why is the Lord writing these seven letters. The first sermon point, actually, if you have space on the page beforehand, first sermon point might be better on the first page because it gets a little squishy right here. We're going to have two sermon outlines on this page. Um, you can run over. It's okay. Um, I'm just saying that that's might, that might be how I would do it if I were you. Um, and I also want to just note, if you were here for Wednesday's study, it was awesome. Um, I had a blast doing it. it. It was a different kind of study than they will be going forward. We had so much to get through. We did all of chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Um, normally in the Bible studies I lead, I love when people ask questions, jump in, interrupt me. We go down rabbit trails and stuff, but man, we didn't have time last week. This week we will. Um, we're only going to be covering this church of Ephesus this week. We'll have plenty of time. And one of the things I'm going to be doing Wednesday evening is kind of mapping out some of the other um, ways people read Revelation, um, the, the post and pre-dispensational, millennial, blah, 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 all of that kind of stuff. I'm going to map that out for you because I'll have the time to do it. Um, if you missed last week, you can go to our website, or I'm sorry, our YouTube channel, and it's on our YouTube channel in a separate playlist. Um, so there'll be a Revelation Bible study playlist. That way we can kind of keep those separate in order so you're not sifting through worship services, trying to find Bible studies. It might be beneficial even if you are here on Wednesday to go back and watch it again. Because like I said, uh, this last Wednesday was like a fire hose. Um, it'll be different this Wednesday, I promise. Still lots of great content and all of that. Just, just wanted to let you know that. But... Um, now we are in Revelation chapter 2. We've heard that, that John has been sort of swept up into this vision, and one like the Son of Man, so Jesus himself is speaking, and he says, write these things to the seven churches. Um, and so each of these seven churches receives a brief letter from the Lord. We'll talk more about that in the sermon. Uh, because this contains the word of our Lord and Savior Jesus, would you please stand? To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent." Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
brothers and sisters in Christ, the first sermon point, as I said, which is going to be kind of about all of the, the seven letters, today being the first one to Ephesus, is Christ's letters to his church. There are seven letters to the seven churches. We said this last week in the message, um, also in Bible study, but it's useful to repeat that, that number seven is this, this God of all creation, all things that are God's in his creation very specifically. Now, obviously, all of creation is God's creation, but when he says the seven churches, he's not talking about just these specific churches. Yes, he is, but he's also talking about all churches of all time. So when we hear these words to the church in in Ephesus and Smyrna and in these other places, we should understand that he is saying this to them specifically, but it has this sort of broad message to all churches. It's similar, actually, to the way we read Paul's letters. You know, Paul wrote a letter to to the Ephesians, to Ephesus. He also wrote a letter to the, the people who lived in Philippi. They called it the letter to the Philippians. And, and in the same way, there were very specific things happening there, but the lessons and the doctrine and the teaching and the promise and the joy, all of that applies in some way to all people of all churches. So what's cool about these seven letters to the seven churches is that it it is specific all the way very granular down to the individual Christian, and then also their congregation and church. But even more so than that, it's it's maybe the circuit of, of our churches. We have a group of churches in kind of the Des Moines West or Des Moines in general. Um, our, our churches together, this applies to us. And it applies even, I would say, to Iowa District West, you know, and, and the, the leadership and the churches of Iowa West, and, and maybe all of us in our synod that's, a, that's really around the world, and, and really all Christian churches. So it's as big as applicable to all churches of all time, but it's also applicable specifically to you individually. Um, we, we would call it sort of like a fractal, and it's a weird uh, mathematical thing, a geometric thing where at the smallest level it's the same as it is at the biggest level. It's, it's kind of a, a cool thing. And these, these letters aren't necessarily uh, designed to hit you entirely, but sometimes there's a phase in your life, or sometimes there's a, a part of your life that reflects and really resonates a lot with this letter to Ephesus, or our congregation. You know, we're not going to find in here and read in here and go, oh, that is definitely living faith. Most definitely this is the, the letter that applies most to living faith. It may be part of this that applies to part of us, or all of this applies to some of us. It's as a congregation, we're going to hear in all of these some ways in which the Lord is speaking specifically to us. And all of these sort of have an um, application uh, that, that can be for us all, even if they're a little bit different. The example that I had in my mind is that whenever I meet somebody who's had a shoulder surgery, I'm always like, oh, yeah, I'm with you. I've had two of those. And, and yeah, you know how when you wake up and I kind of describe it and they go, yeah, but mine was more like this. Uh, so they're not exactly the same. 
right? And, oh, did your therapist give you the exercises where you had to do with the bands and the stuff? Well, my therapist gave me these exercises. Oh, and that one. So they'll be similar in a lot of ways and, and um, exactly the same in some ways, but generally speaking, it's, it's applicable to us all. And these letters give us a, uh, an introduction of, of who is speaking. And it's, it's always got something to do with the character and nature of Christ that he wants to present to this church. And it, and it gives um, a, a commendation, you're doing this well, uh, and it gives a, a bit of something, a sin that you need to repent of. And the encouragement to repent because those who repent and, and address these sins conquer. So that's, that's just going to be true of all of these letters and all of these churches and all of us. So... How he starts is he speaks of himself, Jesus, as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks amongst the lampstands. Christ is present, caring for, aware of you. I mean, you guys, but also you. He is very aware of, of your trials and your challenges, your celebrations and your victories. He knows you intimately. He's not off at a distance watching things unfold in your life and going, hmm, well, they should have done it this way or that way. <laughs> no, he's walking right there amongst you and with you. And, and the struggle I feel like a lot of people have is, but I don't always feel his presence right here. I don't, I don't always notice or, or see it. And that's, that's exactly the problem in Ephesus. That's, that is what they're sort of experiencing. And they're doing so many things really well. He, he gives them a great commendation. But the way he says who he is and, and the component of his character that he gives to the Ephesians is to say, look, I, I'm, I am here. I haven't forgotten you. I am close to you. You can know me and feel my presence and experience me. And that must be then, because he makes such a point to say it, it must be something that, that feels like it's missing a little bit to the church in Ephesus. We don't think that way because we have in our head that the Holy Spirit was doing all sorts of really cool stuff. And back in those days, in the first century of the Christian church, man, people were just on fire and ignited and they, they knew God was right there. They felt his presence all the time. We see moments of that in, in, of course, the moment of Pentecost. And we see it when the apostles do some miracles and we have recorded miracles happening. But remember, John is writing this sort of at the end of the apostolic age. He's, he's the last one. All of the apostles have died. So a lot of those really amazing works of the apostles are faded memories to some people. And you can imagine this church in Ephesus is one of the older churches. It's one of the first ones that Paul started. And he spent time there. And, and there are people who remember the days when. They remember those days like if we were having a, a congregational meeting together and there would be some people here who could say, I remember those days in living faith when we were still part of Shepherd of the Valley. I remember those days at living faith. 
when, when we were just starting out and those pastors were here and then they took calls. I remember those days when we didn't have a pastor. I remember those days when Pastor Luke arrived and some of you are like, I don't remember any of that stuff. <laughs> but that's what they were remembering. I remember that time when, when Peter and James came and told us this story and they healed a person who couldn't walk. I remember the days when Philip was, was traveling and there was this eunuch and, and man, he was, he was baptized and then Philip was suddenly transported away somewhere else. I remember that time. But those times are, are past. So you have a church that's established, it's strong, it is faithful, but they do have this problem. We'll get to the problem in a minute, but first... The, the Lord says, your hard work isn't unnoticed. <laughs> it says in verse two, or chapter 2, verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Earlier he says, I know your works, your toil, your patience, your endurance. You cannot bear with those who are evil, tested. All of, all of that is true. But this hard work that isn't unnoticed, I want to focus on verse 3. I know you're enduring patiently. I know you're bearing up for my name's sake. And I know you have not grown weary because these things are really hard. Church is difficult. Faith is challenging. Everyone I know who, who has gone from that moment of, of conversion or sometimes it's a, an awakening of the faith that they've always had and they say, I want to know more. I want to study scripture. I want to, to know what God is more fully and who he is in Christ. I, I, every person I have shepherded through this process has gotten to a place where they just get exhausted and I say, I can't figure this out. I can't figure out what God wants for me. I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. Am, am, am I supposed to keep doing this, or am I supposed to stop doing that? Or, or what does God have? And, and it, is, it is absolutely exhausting. And you can imagine the, the Ephesians are in this place of, of they've been around the longest, and, and they've been doing this work for a long time, and they're starting to ask those questions, okay, Lord, now What? What is next? They've endured persecutions, and there's more persecutions on the horizon. They have struggled through it. Is this what it's always going to be like, Lord? Is it always going to be like this for a Christian? That, that we have to struggle and fight and work to continue to grow our faith? And are these challenges going to keep coming our way? Is that what it's always going to be like? And the Lord says, you're missing something. It's not that your hard work has gone unnoticed. It's not that the, the diligence you've been putting in, in your prayer life, in reading the scriptures, in being faithful has gone unnoticed. It's not that those things are, are even a bad thing or detrimental in any way, shape, or form. But instead, you forgot your love. See, hard work and love aren't the same thing. Hard work and love aren't the same thing. It's not the same. Verse 4, right after the verse we just looked at, it says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You abandoned that love. 
See, the, the faith that sustains when we are weary, <laughs> the faith that gives us strength when we are tired, when those challenges come our way, when we have the diagnosis, when a loved one dies, when, when the challenges are attacking us, when, when the foe is opposing us and pulling apart our family and pulling apart our lives, what gets us through that is not our hard work. It's the same as, as somebody who is the provider for their family believing that the family loves them because they provide. And those being provided for believe that they are loved because the one is providing for them. No. That's not how it's supposed to work. The way it's supposed to work is, is we provide because we love. We love them, so we provide for them. They love us, so we provide for them. This is what our work is, is for, not, not because they love us, but because we love them. The love isn't based off of what is accomplished or, or what is brought home. How terrible would it be as if in my marriage was based off of how much I was able to provide for my family, and, and if that changed somehow, if I couldn't provide the same life for my wife and my children, they stopped loving me. That is, that is a shallow, superficial, I wouldn't even use the word love. But they love me. And so, and because I love them, so I, I do what I can to provide. I do what I can to give them the, a life that is enjoyable, all of those things. But it flows first from love, and that isn't based off of what we do. It's based off of who we are. This is the truth when it comes to our spiritual work. <laughs> he doesn't love us because we put in the time. He doesn't love us because we pray and read scriptures and do good things and, and serve in these capacities as a congregation, as, as living faith. He doesn't love us because we do all of those things. He loves us because of who we are, and who we are is who he has made us to be. See, we can idolatrize. We, we can make idols out of our spiritual discipline. And... I will tell you, I think, I truly believe this letter to the Ephesians resonates strongly with our church body, with me particularly. I know stuff. I went to school for stuff. I put in a lot of work. I put in eight years I went to undergrad. I learned the languages. I went to the seminary. I did well in the seminary. I, I like to joke about how I'm kind of a dummy, but I'm, I'm a dummy in, in the other ways. I'm, I can memorize stuff, and I can repeat it. I did well. I'm smart. I'm talented at doing pastor stuff. So God must love me more. Right? Boy, it doesn't work that way. Oh, and the temptation 
for that is so strong as a pastor and so strong as a Christian to to have a connection with the love of Christ and assume that that comes from putting in the work, to assume that it comes from doing good. We'll experience Christ more as a congregation if we put our nose to the grindstone and work harder. We'll experience the love of Christ more if we can say we've helped more people, provided more for people in need, served more people. We'll experience him more, right? Nope. (laughs) That's just not how it works. And it shouldn't be how your family works. It shouldn't be how your friendships work. You should love someone for who they are. Not not because they're funny, they got a great personality, those are all works and stuff, but rather they they are a child of God too. And, And if they're a baptized believer or not, God loves them. So our our experience of Christ isn't based on anything but returning to our first love. (laughs) So love remembered. Remember that first love? Remember that, that time when you, when you really recognized who Christ was and you thought, man, I love that guy. Sometimes this is hard for us as, as people to get our heads around with other people, but there's, there's some people in our lives we can go, man, I love that guy. I, that person just... There's something about them. I just, the, what, you just think, you, you put the picture up. I can think of six, seven people in my life where I'm like, man, I miss him. I love that guy. It's, it's amazing that I, I don't care what they're doing. I don't care if, if they're not doing well or they're doing great, if they've got their life together or they're a hot dumpster fire. I don't care. <laughs> I just love that person. Right? That's, that's similar to the love of Christ. And this is such a, a beautiful and profound reason for the incarnation because it's so hard to, to love that person who is this intangible, non-physical being. Right? No, love Christ. If you want to love God, love Jesus. This is our focus. This is, this is the focus of this book is, is really two things. It's Christ and his mission and the church and her mission, but it's really Christ and his mission, and out of that, the church has a mission, and that mission is to further Christ and his mission. It's, it's all about Christ. This whole book is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. We see him finally incarnate in the Gospels and understand it in the New Testament, but we see finally this is somebody I can know how to love, somebody who was so selfless that that would become man, that would take on human flesh, that would be willing to feel what I feel and mourn and weep at the death of a loved one in Lazarus and rejoice and celebrate at a wedding in Cana. This is somebody I can say, I can, I can fall in love. In the same way I can fall in love with a character in a book, this is so much more real because he is real. 
And this God is walking amongst us. This Jesus is here present. But if we're just, if we're just about putting in the work, if we're just about the, the business plan and, and the brick and mortar and building a building and, and organizational stuff, we'll miss his presence. We'll, we'll miss experiencing who Jesus is because he's not those things. Those things are good. They're helpful. They're useful. Jesus commends them. He says, I haven't missed the hard work you're doing. And in those days, there were false prophets. And if you want to know what a Nicolaitan is, you're going to have to come on Wednesday. We don't have time for it tonight. But it, they're mentioned in a few more church letters, too. The Nicolaitans are, are these people who are, are preaching something that isn't Jesus. And, and the Ephesians know it because they've put in the work. It's useful. It's good to be able to say, that's not about Jesus. You can't be here. You're teaching something that isn't Jesus. You got to be away. That takes that discipline, the, the theologians, the stuff that our church body is really good at. Dan and I both have a theological education that could kill a horse, right? But it means nothing if we don't love Jesus. It means nothing if I don't have that love for Christ. And he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the works you did at first. What are those works at first? They're not works in, in the sense of study, read, pray. That work is to sit back and marvel at this Jesus who loves us so much. He would take on flesh for me. And he's right here walking amongst us. He's right here ready to, to show us that love. And it doesn't come in success. It doesn't come in fulfillment. If, if you remember, when I first got here, and, and I just want to, I'm going to take a risk here. <laughs> when I first got here, uh, this place was a mess. I'm not going to lie. I didn't straighten it out. I didn't do anything. And it literally did nothing. I, I loved Jesus a lot. I still do. I'm not saying I don't. <laughs> when I got here, you remember how hard we were working to try and balance a budget and, and there just wasn't enough money? And, and we hadn't paid the mortgage in 22 months? Whew. Remember that? Remember how, how we had, had no money to, to pay people? We had to take a special offering to, to hit a payroll within the first six months of me being here. What did, I, did I bring millions of dollars? No. Did, did, did I fund things? No. Did I preach about money? No. Did I bring in experts to, to tighten up the budget and, and to show us? No, I didn't do any of that stuff. Everybody here was already diligently working so hard to do all of those things. I came here and told you how much Jesus loves you. That's all I did. I reminded you of your first love. That was it. That was my goal for the entire first year of ministry. And I said, we have to do things right. 
We, we need CPAs and, and people who lead and know things and do stuff. And, and I made sure they were on council. <laughs> and, and they led the church in that regard. And I said, we need the, the elders to, to do stuff and to be there and to be diligent. But more than anything, we got to love Christ. Do you remember what he did? Do you remember what this means for you? Do you remember how this, this is the one who did the most amazing, profound thing to conquer death, has been raised from the dead, and Scripture keeps calling him first fruits, and Paul keeps reminding us, and, and John is going to remind us that this means we have a resurrection, and he says the tree of life. That was the thing that, that Adam and Eve got banished from, kicked out of the garden. They ate from the tree of the knowledge knowledge of good and evil, but they got kicked out of the garden and had no access to the tree of life. He says, you'll get that. This is yours. The picture at the end of Revelation, when, when the new Jerusalem comes down, there's a new heavens and a new earth. There's a tree in the middle of it from which flows the river of life, and it's right there for you. You will live in paradise. Fall in love with the, with the man who gives you paradise. Fall in love with the only man who can provide for you a solution that isn't in this world, but is in the world to come fall in love with him. And, and preaching and teaching and encouraging this congregation in that way, we never miss budget again. Not once. In 13 years. Not once. Not me. That's the thing. Is I know. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see how amazing it is? And what happens? It's, it's got nothing to do with how hard we work and how diligent we are and, and how much we pray and focus on, on those, those things. If you don't have the love of Christ, if you don't realize what he's done for you, the sacrifice that he made, because you were on his heart in those moments, at that time, that he loved you so much that he would do this. You can, you can work your tail off. You can bust your hump all you want. But love him instead. Just love Christ. Because he loves you so dearly, so passionately, so fully and so completely. He's right here in this space. He's right here in this room. He's right in your life. And he, he would. He'd pat you on the back and be like, this is good work. You're doing the right stuff. You're putting in the time. You're putting in the energy. But don't forget you love me. And don't forget how much I love you. And when we do this, he says to us, if you've got ears, listen up. Let them hear what the spirit of the churches says. To the one who does that, he calls it conquering. <laughs> Just to love Jesus is to conquer. I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This letter to the Ephesians sets up all of the rest of the letters that are to come. There's, there's more challenges, there's more sins to repent of, and different challenges that the church has and, and, and I tell you, we, we resonate with, with Ephesus, except I think we love Christ, and I think we have for a long time. I don't think we've lost it. 
I see, you know, we had almost, I, the numbers are still coming in, ironically, 50-ish people studying the Word of God Wednesday evening. That's putting in time and energy. I get texts from people who say, I'm reading this, I'm studying this, I've been praying for this, what does this mean? That means they're putting in the time and the energy and the effort. We are that church that puts in that discipline. We are the church that, that has been doing this a long time, and maybe there was a, a hot second there <laughs> where, where we kind of forgot how much we love him, but I think that's in our past. I think we remember those days. We remember when, but it's, it's behind us. But if there's even a component in your heart, a small little bit that says, I want to experience this Christ so... I should probably put in the work to read, to study, to pray, repent, turn away and say, I'm going to still do that stuff, but instead, I'm going to just marvel and sit back and, and just glory in the glory of the Lord who loves me so much that he conquered sin and death and calls me a conqueror of sin and death if I just love him. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand? Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for the hard-working men and women in this congregation who do put in the time and the energy and the effort, who have discipline, who do seek you every day of their lives, but I give you thanks so much more for their hearts, for hearts that fall in love with you anew, that hear of your wondrous works and ways and marvel at you. Renew and rejuvenate our hearts, O oh Lord. Renew us to love you anew, dearly, passionately, to experience you not in what we know or what we do, but because of who you, has, who you have made us to be in your son Jesus. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.